ambassador in chains, pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Would you pray with me as we prepare to hear from the word of the Lord? Father God, we thank you for the great many blessings you give day in and day out, the ones that we simply do not even notice, but that in every way you are preserving us, you are sustaining us, you are guiding us, you are directing us. Father, I pray that we would be receptive to your will, that what you are leading us into, we would boldly go and trust in you. Absolutely. Father, and as we as we continue through this series, studying through these things that you have provided for us, the, the equipping of your saints for the dealing in these warfares, these challenges, and these struggles, may we never lose sight of the fact that it's by your strength that we stand, that it's by your word we live, that it's by your way we walk. Our Father, we depend on you in all things. We call upon you now as we we are eager to hear from your word that as David comes forward and he he shares what you have for him this morning that Lord I pray we would all be just eager in anticipation for you to move in a mighty way through the instruction of your word Lord through the, the learning of your precepts may we love these things Throughout the rest of this morning as we as we continue to sing and pray and worship and fellowship together. Lord, let your words dwell in our heart. Let it ever be present, reminding us of your goodness and your love. And at this time, Lord, grant us wisdom to hear, give us eyes and ears to receive what you have prepared. provide David the boldness and the clarity to share with us what you have for us this morning. We are hungry for your word, Lord. We love you and we bless you. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. All of God's people said together, amen. blessing it has already been to be together as a family. I have no idea what it means that there's a ladybug on the podium up here, but that's different. How you doing? Good to see you. And it's good to see y'all. I hope your Bible's already turned to Ephesians chapter 6. Take your stand. Take your stand. Uh, let me just be remiss to say this. I'm so glad to have the Zinkies back with us. I didn't get a chance earlier, but um, what a blessing to have them home with us. <laughs> and ever. Yeah, uh, it's, it's just a blessing. So, um, so this week we are focusing on another aspect of the armor of God that he has given us to fight against the enemy 
as we have said every week, and we will need to say every week going forward as a reminder, the enemy is the evil one and his minions. The evil one does not wear skin and is not sitting in this room or is in your family. The evil one can have influence over you or your family. But the enemy is not other human beings. Rather than fighting other human beings, our call is to fight for other human beings, to fight for one another. And so this week we are looking at the aspect of the armor that is called the shield of faith. So last week we talked about the breastplate of righteousness. And so for us to be able to get a clear understanding of what the breastplate of righteousness is, we needed to understand what righteousness is. Because if you ask a bunch of people, you're going to get a lot of answers. You know, righteousness not, might be me doing good works. Righteousness might be uh, me just being basically good. Or righteousness, as we saw in Scripture is the case, is the righteousness of Christ imputed to us so that we don't rely upon a righteousness of our own, which doesn't exist, but the righteousness that has been perfected in us so that we stand before the Holy One, the Father, as Father, who loves us dearly. And a way was made for us to be able to stand before Him as unholy people made holy in Christ. So we understood then that the, breast, the breastplate of righteousness is put on us as a defense against all of those things that come at our heart. All of those things that try to convince us that we are good enough ourselves or that I have to protect myself or any of those things related to righteousness of others or righteousness of myself or any way that the enemy wants to use my lack of righteousness against me or others' lack of righteousness against me or against them. And so in the same way, when we're, th- when we're talking about this breast, I mean, this shield of faith, what are we talking about when we're, when we're saying faith? Do we know what faith is? I know who faith is. She's sitting right down here. But do I know what faith is? Do I have an understanding of what faith we're talking about when I'm supposed to put up a shield of faith? And so, like I did last week, I just grabbed some definitions that I found uh, quickly, and I put down three of them. And so, three definitions of faith here, the first of which is there. Faith is great trust or confidence in something or someone. That's pretty generic, pretty vanilla, right? It's just great faith. It's me really, really believing. It's me being able to see someone or something and have a faith, a a confidence in them. These are not ones that you necessarily need to write down because I think they're lacking. But I think that it's good for us to see kind of what's out there. The second one is a feeling of trust that something will be successful, that people will do what they promise to do. So now faith is a feeling. I feel like you're trustworthy, so I'm going to believe in you. You seem like a pretty good guy, so I'm going to give you half of my retirement so that you can invest it for me. We're from the same town. What could go wrong? It's just salesmen, really, really good salespeople are good at making you trust them so that they will get you to buy their product. That can be done in a right way. If somebody really is, they really do care, they really are like that, and they're trying to get you to buy a product that really will benefit you, that's a great thing. 
But all salespeople across the board want to convince you that you feel like you can trust them. That you can, you can take them at their word. This third one is, starts off with belief. That's good. The assent of the mind to the truth of what is declared by another resting solely and implicitly on his authority and veracity. It's reliance on testimony. So the assent of the mind to the truth. Now, first of all, what the heck is truth? You can't even get there anymore. Truth is defined by everyone in different ways. Their truth, your truth, my truth, his truth, true truth. We, we don't know. And so for us, of course, we have to go back to the first or the second week on the belt of truth, the truth of the word of God, the truth that God is. But here, it's just the ascent of the mind to the truth of what is declared by another, resting solely on and implicitly on his authority and veracity. So we've got two definitions here. One that says it's a feeling, another essentially says it's a choice. It's an ascent of the mind. I'm going to figure it out in my head, I'm going to choose to believe what you say. I find those lacking. Well, one thing that we can say for sure that the results are fully dependent on the truthfulness and the ability of the object of what is believed. The object of faith. Right? So it's not faith itself, but it is the object. Do I believe that you are truthful? Do I choose to believe that because I think that you, the object of my belief, is truthful and right and good? So it is all about the object for us to know whether or not it's worthy of being faithful. So we will only know that someone is truly worthy of trusting you with, or of you trusting your life with someone is when you actually do. When you actually do trust them. Y'all know the old, um, I don't have one. You know the old, uh, well, there's a whole room full of them right here. The, the illustration of a chair, right? So I've got this chair. I'm going to borrow this chair. All right. Okay, we got this chair. My lovely assistant didn't bring it up here. I don't have a lovely assistant. I got a chair, right? You heard this? Anybody heard this illustration? You know what I'm talking about? Yes, some of you. Okay, so I can look at this chair. It looks pretty solid. Pretty good, right? Y'all are sitting in them, so you know something I don't know. But I look at this and I go, I think I can trust this. I totally believe that this will hold me up. Have I placed my faith in it? Of course not. I've simply stated that I believe in it. It is not until the weight of my body sinks on this and it actually holds me up that I can declare with absolute confidence that this chair is faithful, that the object of my faith is well placed in. I can trust it. And so we can talk about faith all we want to. We can talk about belief in something all we want to. But until we actually place our faith in that thing, we are not going to know if it's true. So now let's talk a little bit about the objects, the possible objects of faith. The things in which we tend to look to to place our faith in, or people in general can. Because we need to get to the bottom of this before we know whether or not what we have is real. And whether this thing that we put on, and we call it a shield of faith... Is it the real thing? Is it strong? And am I really doing it? Am I really putting my faith in what I say I'm putting it in and not saying, I believe in that chair, but I'm going to sit over here on this stage because it's actually stronger. 
I know that it's not moving, but I think that one's really strong. I know it. So I can I can kind of fool myself into believing that I'm putting my faith into something that I'm not putting my faith in. Actually. I hope you're following me on that because it's very important that we get that right. I can say all day that I'm placing my faith in God because we're in church and that's what we're here to do. Right. And not actually be placing my faith in, in God. So four possibilities that I came up with. There are probably more, but I think these are kind of the top four. The first one is placing faith in faith. Does that sound weird? People do it all the time. Have you ever heard somebody say, it really doesn't matter what you believe in as long as you believe? Heard that one? They're placing their faith in faith. It's not the object that they're worried about. It's the action of believing. That's actually pretty popular. A lot of people think it's, it's and, and what it is, is it, like it, it's, you're, you're placing your faith in an idea that may not be real in reality, may not be true in reality. So it's the hope that things will work out in the end. The belief that there is a, a positive outcome, if I look at this rightly, if I just believe enough. So it doesn't matter what I believe in. The problem is that this might help you fake it till you make it on a normal day but it's not going to help you on your worst of days. It's not going to do anything for you because there is nothing of substance. Faith itself cannot be the object of faith. It is often stated, but it is meaningless. In medical terms or medical practice, this would be called a placebo, right? It's like you go to a doctor and you've got this ache in in your back. And so it's like they do the test. There's like nothing wrong with you. But you won't, if y'all like Andy Griffith, there's a wonderful episode for, I need my pill. And there's just this old lady, I need my pill. And the pharmacist wouldn't give her her pill because she didn't need it. And there was no prescription for it. So in reality, what she do, she gives her sugar pills because that's all that she's been prescribed just to make her feel better. And somehow it works. The problem is, is if there's a real problem. If you got a real problem, and you're getting, you're depending on sugar pills. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, that problem is going to get you. That problem is going to overwhelm you. So faith in faith may be something that the culture really believes in, ironically, but there's nothing to hold water. The second one is faith in others. Faith in others, friends, family, church, community, all those things. There is an aspect of this that, of course, we believe in absolutely. You have to believe it. You have to trust people. We need to trust other people. We're we're not in this alone. We've talked about that all the time. The whole idea of koinonia is that we are in this ecclesia together, doing this deep fellowship together because we're learning and growing, becoming more trusting of one another. So we need to do that. But the problem is that everyone is fallible. So even with the best intentions, faith is going to be unfounded if that's your bottom line foundation. With the best of intention, you'll still get bad advice. Your best friends won't always be able to be there for you in all situations. And so you're going to feel deserted. You're going to feel alone. They can't know your deepest 
hurt or what really, really goes deep into those places that you yourself cannot even put into words. And so faith in others has its place, but it's, it's very limited. Which leads me to the third one that may be the actual most popular one, and that is faith in yourself. Right? Faith in self. I believe in me. I mean, I hear that a lot too. It's like, I, I, I believe that I can do this. I believe that I am the one who knows myself the best and I can take care of the problems that I'm faced with. It takes care of a lot of the problems with faith in others that we've had, right? Because you are always there. You are most concerned about yourself and you know yourself best. The problem is, you know yourself best. Uh, you, you know, if you're, you are like me. You know how, how deeply flawed you are. You know how many times you've tried to work things out and failed. You've, you know how many times that you sit alone at home and you go, I have no idea what to do next. I have no idea how to fix this. I don't have the power to fix this. Right? I'm not even going to get you to raise your hand because you know you. And you know I know you on that. So, so you are not even qualified to put faith in yourself because you know you can't do it. And if you're not there, you'll get there soon enough. And that leads me to the fourth one, which is the faith of God. The faith of God. I call it the faith of God instead of the others. I've said faith in this person or that person, whatever. It's the faith of God because faith is from God. And faith from God allows us to trust in God. That is so important. That is a very important distinction that I hope that you will come to realize as we go along. Faith from God makes faith and trust in God possible. That changes everything. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Kevin quoted it earlier because we quoted a lot here. For you you have been saved by grace through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. So faith is a gift from God because we are saved by grace through faith. And the faith is not from us. It's a gift of God. It is not of works. We can't boast. It's also not from works, which is why we can't fail, which is why it can't fail. It is a gift of God. That's why the best definition is actually Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Let's read that one again. Look what it says. Faith is the reality. So, so you first have this reality. Faith is a reality of what is hoped for. So what I hope for is true. It's proof Doesn't that take it away from faith? How can it be faith if there's proof? If there's proof, then I don't need to believe, right? I don't have to have faith. Well, of what is not seen. It's a really interesting verse there. Faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. See, why that makes sense is that with God, it isn't a simple feeling or a choice, but is, and I'm using this in a technical term, it is the simple knowledge of the fact. When I mean the simple knowledge of the fact, just means it's just there. It's just present. So 
if you are here today and you have a rock-solid belief in God, it is because God has moved in your life and given you that knowledge of himself. And if you're like me, it's like, I can't fully explain it. I didn't reason myself to God. I can tell you reasons for God, but that didn't lead me to place my faith in Christ. There's something else that I cannot explain, right? And if you can put it into words, talk to me later and and tell me how that is different than just a simple knowledge of in my soul. I know, I know it. I have now experienced it many, many times. I've experienced that love. But initially it was just when I heard the gospel, I believed it. That, you, to me, that is the reality of what is hoped for. I know that what I hope for is real. I know that what is coming is coming. I know that what God tells me in his word is true. I know that to the, to the depths of my core. And it is the proof of what is not seen. Jesus himself is proof of what is not seen. We have seen Christ, but we haven't seen Christ, right? We have testimony, but we haven't seen him. But yet we know that he is who he says he is and he's real. And faith in God is trusting in Jesus completely for your salvation, not depending on your own works at all. So if we go back to our illustration, I trust in Jesus. but I need to do some stuff to make sure that it's real, to make sure that it's true, to make sure I get it right. I, I, so I'm going to sit on my works. Or I'm going to initially sit in the chair for my salvation, but then I'm going to go sit over there for my works. Salvation is about sitting in the faith of God in Christ and staying there and believing that and putting everything all my eggs are in one basket. If I was a gambling man, it would all, all I mean, every, the whole, it'd go to the pot, it'd go to Jesus. That's faith. That's what it really is. And if God is the object of faith, then now there's power. Now we're talking about something that we can use as armor. Now we're talking about something that will not cave. It will not break. It won't fall off of our arm. It, it won't let us down. It, it won't allow us to, to lose the war. This is why Paul says, back in Hebrew, I mean, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, in every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, I want to give you four observations from this text. I had six. And what I did with this, I was like, I whittled the whole thing down. It was like, with, when you start talking about faith, man, you just start piling on and piling on and piling on and you can just have all this stuff. I tried to whittle it down. I ended up with four observations from this text that I hope will help you and me as we stand firm against the evil one. And that's really uh, the first observation or, or leads to the first observation, which where it says, in every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. I want you to understand the nature of the evil one. Because it's, I'm not, I'm not sure we get this very often. I kind of think we sometimes think he's manageable. I kind of sometimes think that, that he's not quite so deceptive as he's given credit for. And Paul describes him as the evil one. And so the first observation is the, the evil one is hell bent on your destruction. I mean that literally. 
He's hell-bent on your destruction. He wants you to be completely annihilated, completely wiped out. He doesn't want to make you have just a bad day. I had a bad day. It must have been the devil. Well, it might have been the devil, but that's not his goal. That's only because God kept him from doing what he really wants to do. And that's to kind of squash you, to destroy you, to use you for his purposes. And that's something we have to be careful for, because even as followers of Jesus, we can be used for his purposes. Scripture is pretty clear on that. But he is evil. That's all that he is made of. He is pure evil. The Hebrew word for evil, for Satan, is adversary. But scripture also uses words like the devil, the serpent, the great dragon, the accuser, the prince of the power of the air, the god of this age, the prince of demons, and the tempter. Think about all the aspects of his nature that are included with that. The great dragon. That doesn't sound friendly. That's not like your friendly neighborhood dragon. Accuser. Prince of the power of the air. That's his power. And as an angel of light and a deceiver, his attacks are often disguised as things that are good or even desirable. Let me just give you just a couple examples that I thought of. So a great paying job. Gives you good advancement. You've got a good position that keeps you away from your wife and children or your, your spouse and your children. Good, something's really good. Maybe not good in the end. A sound financial investment, but with an ethically questionable company. Using AI to write a better paper than you're capable to get your GPA up to scholarship level. Telling a small lie to a friend when the truth could damage the friendship. And a million others, a million other ways that seem good and yet are from the deceiver. He is not to be taken lightly or toyed with, which is why Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, flee from youthful passions. And youthful passions is not just like, uh, like lust. Youthful passions are anything that, that grabs your affection and leads you in a direction that is away from Jesus. So we're supposed to Flee that. And of course, you see the rest of the, of the passage. Oh, I had a, sorry, I had a uh, error up here that I wasn't paying attention to. We get it? There we go. Yeah. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. See, Eve went wrong when she gave the evil one access to her life when she gave him an opportunity to speak in her life and that led to deception and then into doubting the love and the the goodness and the authority of God. You see, Satan is more cunning than you are. Some of you might be just really witty and quick, but he is more cunning than you are and he is not to be reckoned with. Don't give him room in your life. So, the second one then, in every, the second observation, in every situation, take up the shield of faith. In every situation, take up the shield of faith. The attacks are comprehensive and they will come constantly. Now, some of your translations may say above all. I don't think that's accurate. I don't think it's above all, take up the shield of faith. I don't think that's accurate because, because number one, all of, the, all of these pieces of armor are equally important. You're not going to take the shield of faith without the belt of truth without the helmet of salvation. 
But it does make sense because the Greek word here is pasin, which means whole, total, everything, all. So in everything, and the context makes a lot of sense, in everything, in every situation, take up the shield of faith. There is not one single thing that can happen where faith is not required. Because in every area of your life, the enemy is going to come at you. And quite often, it's things that you do not expect and you cannot control. Think about that. Just think about that in terms of your own life. Can you think of times when it's just like, I, had, I didn't see that coming? I didn't see it coming until after it happened. And then I was, I was blindsided by that. Perhaps it caused you to fall. Perhaps it caused just great heartache and harm in your life and you had no idea. And there the attack came. And you had no control. Whether it's something physical outside or mental or physical inside. There's things like, I can't control this. And so in everything, I've got to pick up the shield of faith. Because everything on this side of the shield is vulnerable. Everything on this side of the shield is, is ready to be attacked. And if I put it aside, put it down, throw it off, then I'm, I'm opened up. But I've been given this shield of faith. This is why Peter said in First, uh, first Peter chapter 5, in the sense that the battle is constant. He said, be sober-minded, be alert. I want you to understand when he's saying that, he's not saying right now. Like the attack comes, be sober, or you feel something's coming. or what. It, it is a state of being. It's like be this way all the time. Always have the alert up. Always have the radar up. Always be expecting an attack because it's coming. Okay, always be looking for it because it's there. The enemy is like right at the door. And you kind of go, well, I'm in a season of peace. You might be in a season of peace or you might be lulled to sleep. Thinking that it's peace when the enemy is right there. So he says, be sober minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like, a, uh, like a, a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. So resist him, firm in the faith, which is to say what? Take a stand. Take a stand. Firm where? In the faith. Knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. That's not just a misery loves company statement there. That is a, this is universal This is a worldwide attack of the enemy and it's constant. It's everywhere and it is in every way. And since pride and idolatry of self is the root of all other sins, every area of our lives are prime for attack. Your family, your job, your friends, your community, your church, your neighbor, you name it and it's prime for attack. So everything that is related to me, where I like to take control, where I like, that's prime for attack. And most of all, I think, is that root, that pride. The enemy is going to attack me at the level of my pride. And so he's going to do something that makes me feel offended, that makes me feel shafted, that makes me feel as though uh, I can do more than I think I can. All of these ways are, are, are ripe for attack. And so be ready Keep your guard up. Resist him in the faith. We must be ready in all situations. 
Number three, in every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. I'm very grateful for that word all. That word all means a lot because it would be rough if he said in every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish some of them. Like I, I'm going to tell you, if I'm in a, if I'm in a battle and it's, uh, you know, we're using bows and arrows or guns, it doesn't really matter. I don't want to just dodge some of the bullets. I don't want to dodge some of the arrows. I really want all of them not to strike me. I think just one could really make for a bad day. All of them. Does that encourage you that with a shield of faith, you can extinguish all of them? The defense can be complete. And I love that it's not just you can block them. That you can extinguish them. But it's not like they just hit you or hit the shield and, and continue to burn. It can be completely doused. No flame means no effect. So they do not have to have the evil one's intended effect, only God's. And that's an important distinction. So the enemy wants to destroy you, but what God, what, what, and it's like Joseph told his brother, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Right? Because he takes those things and he allows some of those things to come at us, but they are to grow us, to strengthen us. I want to give you a couple of passages that hopefully will encourage you in this point. The first one is in 1 John chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands, and his commands are not a burden. Verse 4. Because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that has conquered, look at that, has conquered the world. And what is it? Our faith. It is faith that we have been given that is the great overcomer in our world. And that faith is in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus alone. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, another um, pretty familiar passage. No temptation has overcome, overcome you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. Which is not to say it has been often misquoted, misunderstood. God will not give you more than you can handle. That is not what this says. This simply says this is not more than what God can handle. You can be given much, much more than you can handle. You've been given more than you can handle. Everyone is given more than they can handle, but there is not a child of God who has ever been given more than God can handle. And with the temptation, he gives away, as I say, to be able to bear it. Now, that's important because what we often think is that as soon as we place faith in God, even for that situation, that it's gone. But that's not what he says. He says, you'll be able to bear it. I'll be able to get through it. I'll be able to move on through this without falling apart or falling down. So that's really important because there are times when you get to that point and you quote this verse and you go, no temptation is, is, is upon me that, will, that is more common to humanity, but God is faithful. He will provide my way out of this. Well, ultimately, yes. 
But it is, he will make it so that you can endure it, so that you can bear it, so that the enemy can't have his intended purpose in your life. But God's purpose will be made complete. Man, if you miss that, you are going to be so down when the next attack comes and you're just like, this is just too much. Where are you, God? God's like, I'm right there in it. I'm right there. I'm getting you through this. And then what has just in the last 24 hours become one of my favorites yet again that we need to spend just a little bit of time on. James chapter one, verses two through four. And I like the way this is broken up on my slides. I didn't do this, but it's the way it worked out. So look, consider it great joy. Oh yeah, consider it great joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. Really? But we're told to. Consider it means not just, eh, is it good? Let me consider that. No, it's de- determined that it is. Determine that you will have joy when you encounter various trials. If you're going to consider it joy when you have various trials, there has to be a change in your thinking. There has to be a change in your perspective. Because I'm going to tell you, I don't like trials. I don't like them. I don't like things that happen to me or around me that, that is not for my immediate benefit or that I can control. So I don't like that. So for me to consider it joy, something else has to happen. I have to have a new perspective, which is exactly what James gives us. Because there's that causation word. Here's why you should consider it pure joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. Because you know, you know this. You know this. If God is in control and his word is true, and he says that, All things work for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That he's going to work out everything the way he did with Joseph Joseph and the way he's done ever since, before that even. Then you know that testing your faith produces endurance. That word sometimes escapes me. And it goes back to what we talked about a minute about being able to bear it. You'll be able to endure it. Because what we're told here is that the testing of your faith, it makes endurance. It's like if you're a runner and you run every day and you run a little farther, you run farther, you're like, this really hurts. This hurts my leg. This hurts my back. This hurts my pride. Everything, it hurts. But you keep doing it. And the testing of your ability to run, the testing of your limits, it's like, I can't go another foot. And then you go five more. Ha, I've endured it that much better. And the next day, I go a little further. And so in that, that, that belief that I can go a little, it produces. So, it, so it's an, it's a, it's a, it makes sense. It's a logical thing. But in faith, this is the way that, that this works. The testing of your faith is the vehicle through which you learn endurance. Not just escapism, but being able to go through it and God's purposes for it reach their conclusion. And that conclusion is found in verse four. Let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature, complete, lacking nothing. Right? So your purpose in training for that marathon is to, is to run the marathon, but not just to run the marathon. I mean, that, okay. Most of the people I know who run marathons, they just want to survive. I get that. 
But there is an elite group that says, I don't want to just, I don't want to just finish it. I want to win it. I want to win this thing. And so if I want to win it, I don't, and I want to be a complete runner. I want to be a complete follower of Jesus. I want to be fully mature and complete. I don't want to lack anything. Then I need to grow in my endurance. And I will grow in my endurance when I see those things that come at my way that I don't like, but I stick up that shield of faith in front of me and I say, I will endure because Christ is in me. I will endure because I know that these flaming arrows that keep shoop, shoop, hitting my shield, not only are they, they're, not, they're, they're extinguishing and, they're, and God is using that for my glory. He's using that for his glory, my good. Scribe that and reverse it. And so, that, so that I am becoming a stronger, more mature warrior, if you will. That I'm becoming more adept at using this, this armor. And this is a wonderful thing because God loves me and he has provided all of this for me. The full effect is that you will grow in your faith. You will be stronger. You will be more equipped. And the end result then will, is that you will experience more joy. That in the things you're having to endure, you can experience the joy of Jesus that is absolutely inexplicable. I have no idea. Why are you going through such a deep, dark time and there's still a joy about you? There's something about you. And the only thing you can do is go, Jesus, it's, it's, my Father has given me this armor and it has been perfected in Christ. And so when this stuff comes at me, man, I just put it on. And his power in me holds firm so that I can take a stand. Are you tired of getting beat up, man? Are you tired of being defeated in places and ways that you should not be defeated? That you're getting knocked down and, and the enemy has no right or really no power to do it and yet it happens? Could it be? Could it be? Because this whole time you're claiming to be sitting in Christ, sitting in the power of God sitting in his strength and provision. And yes, you may be in the chair. You may be fully a, a child of God. But in practice, you've moved away from the chair. In practice, you've kind of left that over there. Now, when it gets tough, man, you'll come and sit on the edge. Whew, God, help me. God, help me. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. I feel the strength. All right, let's get back at this thing. It's time for us to stop that. It's time for us to stop it. Because our birthright as children of God is to stand firm on the foundation of Christ. Let's be a church that stands together because that's, that's my final thing. I only, have, I only have zero minutes. The fourth thing is that the battle is meant to be fought together. Fortunately, this is a short one. Galatians chapter 6 Verses 1 through 3. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you may be, so that you may not be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So here's the really cool thing about the shield. 
And especially in, in the Roman army, what they would do. Because the thing is, is when you have the shield, it's, you know, it's yay high and it's surrounded usually. And so you get, you're protected from a front, frontal attack and a little bit from the flanks over here. But somebody could easily get you on the side or get you from the back or whatever. The really cool thing that they would do when they would get together is they would do this thing right here. And so they would, why aren't you changing Huh? Aha. That's my trick me. That was cool. So see this over here. Look, you see how they put the shields together and they build a fortress. And so they come together. And so now you've got this almost impervious fortress of such where it doesn't matter how the arrows come. This whole group of people together putting their shields together are protected. Now, the cool thing that goes beyond that is when they actually stand up. Whoop, whoop. Is that over here now? Was it? There? Ha, there it is. All right, look, now they're standing up and they're moving. So essentially what happens is they can get together and provide protection, but now together they can stand up and start moving and a weapon of defense now becomes a weapon of offense. And it becomes like a human tank here. Together with us individually putting our faith in Christ, but together as a church, we can do what we have figuratively done this morning when we pray together, when we gather around someone and we pray over them, when we come together when someone is hurting and we just surround them and we put up our shields and we shield them. Because sometimes we don't have the strength of the power on our own. We're struggling, man. I'm I'm having a difficult time and I feel like I'm falling on the ground and some Some of my brothers and sisters come by and they put their shield up and they speak truth into my life and they put their arms around me and they pray for me. They go to the Father on my behalf and they're putting up that shield and they're protecting from the attacks of the enemy that want to get through and to defeat this one who has fallen. This is what we must do as a church. This is who we are as a church and it is beautiful when it happens. Man, what a beautiful picture. What a just paint the picture in your mind of someone who has fallen and you've just got brothers and sisters who are just just overshadowing them, being the hands and the feet of Jesus. Church, let's be that. Let's pray. God, your faith is overwhelming that you give us. It is unbelievable that you give us what we need to stand firm. You give us armor. You give us the gift of faith, Lord. I pray that we as individual believers and as the church, that we will stand firm together, that we will stand in the faith that you have given us, Lord. And as we endure, understanding that our faith grows. God, it doesn't take a whole lot of people to be a strong armor when the source of the armor is Almighty God. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will take this very, very seriously and we will love each other so well that we are going to be very faithful to you because of our love for you, Father, and then very active in our love and protection of one another. Then I know, Lord, we will fulfill the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbors yourself. Grant this would be so in our life as a church. Amen. 
I invite you to stand our worship team back up here as we close with a, a time of response. As you think about this, as you kind of determine how is it that I'm supposed to stand? How is it? How am I standing right now? Where am I sitting? Where am I standing? What's my relationship with the Father and the relationship with the church as well? Let's give him honor and glory. He is worthy of it. We sing this following song, closing out this morning. Let us let's remember that the, the race that we run, we do so with the knowledge that there is an end point, that there is that day where we will finally be in the presence of Jesus. And so this, uh, this song at the end, let us lift our eyes to heaven to look to the one who has called us, who has sustained us and brought us through all things and worship him for his holiness and his goodness. Would you sing with us?